I'd invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 10. We'll be looking at this psalm in its entirety this morning. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you know mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So far the reading of God's Word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever had to ask a hard question or a difficult question, a question maybe that you were a little bit too afraid to ask? Maybe because you didn't want to offend them? But the longer that you wait, that question bubbles up inside until it emerges as a cry from your heart. 
Psalm 10 starts with a heart cry to the Lord, where the psalmist is asking hard questions. The questions at the start of the psalm helps us indicate that this is a psalm of lament. But who is lamenting? And why are they lamenting? See, the psalm does not have an author like Psalms 3 through 9, which were Psalms of David. Nor does this psalm give you any context like Psalm 3, indicating that David wrote this psalm while fleeing from Absalom, his son. Or in Psalm 7, indicating that David sang that psalm to the Lord because of the words of Cush the Benjamite. However, if the Psalms are a window into the Christian's heart, no context is really needed. Because somewhere along your Christian journey, you most likely ask God these same two questions. Why do you stand so far away? And why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Our theme then this morning as we examine Scripture is when you cry out to God, He provides clarity. And we'll look at this at three points. Where are you? Look around. And oh right. Is God missing in action? See, it does, it does not take long in any kind of affliction before you feel like God has abandoned you. You know, sometimes on your Christian journey, it feels like you're dragged by your feet and your face is just scraping along the gravel. Or you feel like you're running in mud, not getting anywhere. It feels like God is so distant. He's not there to help you when all you need is just a little tug. And then maybe your mind starts to wonder, it starts to speculate about the character of God. Maybe they're right. Maybe God is that deistic representation where he set everything in motion, but he's hands off when it comes to your affliction, to your life. He does not want to disrupt your way of life, your choices. So you're here just to figure everything out on your own. But is that how God reveals himself in Scripture? But why does it feel that way? Why does it sometimes feel that you're all alone in your afflictions and trials along this Christian pilgrimage? Is it because God's unable to act? The psalmist asks his first rhetorical question, why do you stand so far away? Is the answer to this question because God is unable to act? God has the power to create the universe, place stars and planets in the night sky. He has the power to create life, to fill the earth. But when trials and affliction come, God stands far off? Is that where his power ends? Or maybe God has used up all his power in creation. He's unable to act because God's power is depleted. 
The universe is so intricate, more so than we'll ever understand. And that's not to mention the earth and everything that makes it function. And also the human body and all the other creations that fill this planet. Is that why God is void of all his power? Because he's used it all up. His tank, it's empty. Is that how God reveals himself in Scripture? But why does it sometimes feel that he does not care about your afflictions, about what you're going through? Is it because he's unwilling to act? The psalmist asks another hard question. Why do you hide yourself? He wants to know why there's inaction on the part of God. Is it because you're unwilling to act? Is God hiding because he's embarrassed, because he's unwilling to act, he's unable to act? Like the distance will be able to hide his impotence, his powerlessness? Then it could be that your mind starts to play tricks on you. Maybe God's unwilling to act because he just doesn't like you. Is there something about you that makes God want to hide himself in times of trouble? Maybe creating you was a mistake that he's embarrassed of. Disappointed in you. Is that why God is not helping me in my times of trouble? Why, Lord? Why are you distant from me? Why are you hiding yourself? These heart cry questions from the psalmist are not only because of the psalmist's afflictions, but also because He sees what's happening around him. In verses 2 through 13, the psalmist informs God about what is happening in the world. Through these verses, it's as if the psalmist is telling God, look around. Look at everything that's going on in the world. Do you see what is happening in your creation? And the psalmist uses evidence that he sees around him to back up that hard question that he asked the Lord. And the first evidence he highlights is that evil heart of the wicked people surrounding him. See, the root of the problem is that sinful heart of the wicked. In verse 3, the wicked boast about their soul's desire. They boast about Whatever their empty soul desires, they will continue to feed that bottomless pit of discontentment. They must worship the desires of the heart. They want to feed that sinful heart. They love the things of the world. They lust after the desires of the eyes, of the flesh, and of the pride of life. They do not want to worship God or give Him glory due to His name. Sin is a worship problem rooted in the human heart until it grows out of the mouth boastfully. See, what the human heart desires, it will worship. And from that worship will come the fruit of your desires. 
And not only are they unwilling to praise God properly, but they take it a step further and they curse God. Instead of worshiping Him and properly praising Him, they use His name in vain. They use it as a curse word, spitting on His name. And the reason that they don't want to worship God is because they renounce Him. They do not believe in Him. The psalmist expresses this in verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. This is the dark color of the wicked heart. All their thoughts are that there is no God. And the psalmist is not the only one to pick up and observe the dark heart. Genesis 6-5 makes the same observation that the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continually also in psalm 14 states similar language because these people fools they're so poisoned by their venomous hearts that they will not seek after god and this makes them foolish as the evidences pile up the psalmist reminds the lord of that dark wicked heart that will not believe nor worship Him. But what the wicked believe in their heart will not stay there. It will manifest into action. The wicked heart is not contained only to thoughts and words. It's true they might lurk around and keep quiet, But sooner or later, that boastful desire of that wicked heart will want to escape and create even more carnage. The psalmist noticed two malicious actions of the wicked. Their prospering plans and their violence over the helpless and the poor. The psalmist reminds God how the ways of the wicked always prosper Their foul course of action is having success with their enemies. So much that in verse 5, the psalmist says that the wicked merely puffs at them. There's no threat. He just turns his nose up to them. They're nothing to him. No threat. No effort required. No sweat will fall from his brow as he conquers them. See, the wicked turns his nose to his enemies because his heart believes that he will not be moved. He's so confident that he believes this for himself and all those around him that they will not be moved. There's no adversity that he will meet that he will not be able to overcome. The wicked show such pride and arrogance in the face of God. Imagine a creature being able to predict the future, so confident that he will not meet an adversary that will be able to overtake him. How do you know that? It's just pride and arrogance. And this arrogance manifests, as you see in verse 7, 
and a mouth that should be filled with soap, but instead it spews cursing and deceit and oppression. And under his tongue is mischief and iniquity. The image the psalmist is painting comes from the heart. And it's now manifesting in the mouth of the wicked. The vileness that fills his mouth is not narrowly limited to curse words and swearing, but he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He's using his words to belittle, to smear, to fraud. The forces that your dealings with the wicked will include hardship and loss. They manipulate their way to gain greed that is in their heart the lust that their heart desires. And the intensity starts to ramp up as he paints the picture. The psalmist further illustrates to God how much the unbelievers hate him. And you start to wonder too, why God? Why are you letting them get away with it? Why are they getting away with this conniving behavior? The fruit of their vile hearts spills up until it proceeds from their mouth and then into their fists. If you go back to verse 2, you see that the psalmist shows the intensity of their next actions as they hotly pursue the poor. They pursue the helpless and poor with a burning desire to destroy them. Don't miss the intensity of their actions when they sit in the ambush finding hiding places to murder the innocent. Or the ferocity in his eyes of the wicked as they watch for the helpless to make a misstep so they can pounce. Or the stealth in which they lurk like a lion waiting for his prey, eager to pounce and devour it luring the poor into their net. They crush the helplessness. They crush those who are poor. The psalmist shows such a dire situation, the poor and the helpless, at the mercy of the wicked. Why, Lord? Are you not going to help? Why do you think they're doing this? It's because they think you're impotent. They think you're useless. They think you're weak. A God with a weak mind that forgets. With blind eyes that cannot see. Even worse, they think you're a coward. That you hide yourself. This is what they think about you, Lord. This is what you are in their eyes. A blind, forgetful coward. The psalmist shows the evil deeds of the wicked. And as the list grows and compounds, you can read between the lines and see another underlying question from the psalmist. Why are you letting them prosper? 
Why are you letting the the wicked prosper when they will not worship you? They do not believe in your name. Their mouth is filled with scoffs against you. And they crush the helpless and the poor. Why are you letting them prosper? Why are they going unpunished? Why, Lord? See, if the Psalms are a window into the Christian's heart, your heart has probably felt this way. Do you ever wonder why you suffer these afflictions when the world prospers? Maybe you struggle to make friends because you're shy and awkward, but you have a heart that cares for your neighbor. It's hard for you to find friends, but the popular ones, the ones who are rude and unkind, only caring about themselves, yet they're surrounded by people. They're never lonely. Or maybe you show up on time for work diligent with your money, Worshiping God by the giving of your gifts, but you're just getting by. Everything must fall in line. One small setback will put you in a hole that you're unable to escape. While the world that lies, that steals, that cheats, has more than it'll ever need. Have you ever asked God why? Or maybe you're single and want to be married and find a godly spouse. You look and see, you look and seek desiring characteristics God has outlined in His Word. You try your best to honor Him and seek a partner. You come up empty handed and wonder if there's something wrong with you. Yet the world dishonors marriage with adultery, polygamy, the repeated divorces but you're willing to honor God with your marriage, but you cannot find a spouse. Or maybe you have a spouse and you want to raise a godly family in a covenant home. You desire to teach your children the gospel and the glory of Christ, and it has not happened for you. Nevertheless, the world engages in sexual negligence outside of marriage as it seems to happen so easily for them. And that's not even counting those who terminate life by abortion. Yet those who are trying to be fruitful and multiply to the honor of God, it seems like an impossibility. Have you ever asked God why? Have you cried out to him? Why is God letting them prosper? But in your affliction and your struggle to do what is honoring to God, it seems like he's so far away. Do you believe and trust in God? You have a heart that desires to worship him, but it seems like he's hidden. Does that mean you give up? 
throw in the towel and join the unbelieving world? It looks like they prosper. No, that's not what the psalmist does. He goes before God and he demands action. Not for the sake of yourself, but because of him. Because of God's glory. He says, arise, Lord, for the sake of your name, for your glory. The psalmist calls God into action with an imperative, a command. Arise, Lord. Do this. Do not stand passively as they slander your name. Lift your hand and use all the power of your might. There's urgency in the psalmist's voice because he calls upon God in three different ways. First, by his covenant name. And next, by calling God by a name that invokes power and strength. And then by another name of God. And in his prayer, he cries out to God. And no longer have the words of verses 13 and 12 and 13 left his lips. The light bulb goes off in his head. Oh, right. Meditating on the Lord, the Lord has shown the psalmist the answer to his heart cry. You are none of what the wicked believe you to be. But it was that cry to the Lord that made the psalmist understand. Much like the psalmist in 73 when he envied the prosperity of the wicked until he entered into that sanctuary of God, then he discerned their end. See, the psalmist realizes that God is a God who sees. A God who notices mischief and vexation. A God sees what is happening and he is a helper to the helpless. Not only does God see what is happening now, but he knows what will happen in the future. Remember in Genesis, God knew there would be a famine in the land of Canaan. And he sent Joseph ahead in affliction and hardships so that Jacob and his sons would not perish. He's a God who saw that you would need a Savior and gave you his only begotten Son who paid for all your sins with his precious blood. And he also saw the hardness of your heart and the Spirit was sent to apply that work of Christ, freeing you from guilt and that struggle of sin. See, the psalmist grasps that God also is a God who hears the desires of the afflicted. He strengthens their heart and inclines his ear. God is everywhere. So just as he sees everything, he also hears everything. Remember in Exodus, after Jacob and his sons relocated to Egypt and many generations after the name of Joseph was forgotten, There was affliction for the people of Israel. Yet the Lord heard the cry of his people and spared them from the tyranny of Egypt. 
Not only is God the one who sees and the one who hears, but he is unlike that deistic understanding of God. He is also a God that has the power to execute his justice. Never mistake his patience for impotence. God is long-suffering and can endure what you might not be able to so that he can execute his judgments at the perfect time according to his plan and his glory. Remember in Daniel chapter 4, the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, the prideful words were still in his mouth. God put him in his place, and he became like the wild beasts of the field. He has the power to execute his justice. And lastly, the psalmist remembers that the Lord is a king forever and ever. A great king of kings and lord of lords who will drive the wicked from the land. A king who will reign supreme over his creation until all his enemies are put under his footstool. All authority has been given to him. He is the one that upholds the universe by the word of his power. He provides order and coherence and directs his followers towards their goal. His kingdom will be a kingdom of renewal where all the wrongs will be made right. Not only with sin, but also with the physical body and creation. Everything will be made right. See, this king was unlike any other king because he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, fighting the battle his subjects could never win. He conquered that enemy, death. He rose victorious and took away its sting. And thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the forever King. And you can either be His follower or His foe. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it might feel that God is so far off that He hides Himself from you. But this is a reality that only Christ experienced when He was on the cross and He cried out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? See, Christ truly experienced being forsaken by God so that you never, never, ever will have to feel that way. When you trust in Christ, believe in His name, confess His name, Christ is right there with you every step of the way. He is your King. Until that one day when you hear the loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither crying nor pain any more. The former things have passed away. And then... 
you will know for all of eternity how close your God really was and how close your God will be for the rest of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, in our times of trials and despair, you feel so far away, so distant, so far that that void is unattainable, Lord, that we cannot get near to you. But just as the psalmist reminds us, when we meditate on you, when we come to your word, when we cry out from the bottom of our heart to you, that you hear that you are a God who hears and sees and has the power to act. Father, thank you so much that we will never experience you forsaking us because of your Son, that he took from us what we will never have to endure, what we deserve, Lord, to be forsaken from you, Christ knew exactly what that felt like. And he protects us and guides us along our pilgrimage so that we will never experience that. How great of a Savior do we have, Lord? Thank you so much. It's through Christ's name that we pray. Amen.